Path 11 podcast listeners. This is your host, April Hanna, and we are here today speaking with Mark Serto. So this is kind of an interesting collaboration. We didn't know each other uh, a month ago, but uh, now we are, we have asked him to join our Q&A panel for the Path Evolution screening at Unity North Church. And we were introduced by a mutual friend of Garrick. So thank you, Garrick, for um, introducing us. And Garrick had heard that we were screening the film and he said, hey, you know what? You guys should connect with Mark. Here's his information and looked it up. And I said, wow. So he was a former sound engineer at the Monroe Institute and he knows some of the works and worked with Bob Monroe. And we said, hey, he lives in Atlanta. Why not? Let's ask him to actually be on the Q&A panel. So this is our first time meeting each other in person. Uh, we appreciate you coming out. And uh, we were just doing some side talk and found out that Mark is originally from Staten Island, but has spent a lot of time up in the uh, Catskill Mountains, where I'm originally from, from Tannersville. And so we were just reminiscing about that. And um, so we're really here to actually get to know each other a little bit more intimately. And we thank you for coming on the podcast. The pleasure is mine. And uh, we'd like to know a little bit about the background and because obviously we're all connected just in what we have documented through the Monroe Institute, Bob Monroe, Tom Campbell's going to be here tonight. So we'd like to hear a little bit of how you got started in some of this work and then bring us up to speed with the work that you're doing with the Triad Mind. Um, and you have a lot of information on there with your blogs about OBE experiences and some of the work that you're doing and trying to bring out to people. So we'd like to hear more about that. So do you want to start with how I came to meet Bob Monroe? Sure. That would be okay. Great. Well, uh, it's quite by accident, well-planned accident, much like we're experiencing right now. I, um, got the impulse living in Staten Island. I just was recently gotten married and I got the impulse that I needed to go and live in the mountains and with my new wife and son at the time. And uh, we chose Charlottesville, Virginia. Had no idea why, but it was a very strong impulse and it, it one of those inner knowings that you can't deny. So it defied any logic or rationale, but there I was. And I said, okay, I'm going to do this. My wife was very excited. My son, not so much. He liked New York. Um, and we decided we were going to, our ultimate dream was to have a small horse farm and I'm a recording engineer, so I wanted to have a small studio and I had imagined, um, that that would happen within a couple of years and it did. And I had been meditating prior, a little background information. I'd been meditating prior for about maybe six, seven years by that point in time, 22, 23 years old. And, um, one day I came back from a trip to England I was at the, what I consider Mecca of recording studios, Abbey Road, watching my father-in-law, then father-in-law do a, a session. And I came back um, and checked the voice machine on uh, my, my answering machine. How 80s is that, right? <laughs> and uh, it, it, there was this voice on there from an old gentleman who said, you know, simply call Bob Monroe. Okay, I kind of figured, you know, this guy had the wrong number because most of my clients at that point in time were musicians some of the guys in Dave Matthews band, for instance. And uh, so the next day I got over my jet lag and I called Bob Monroe and he said, uh, I had to kind of remind him that he had actually called me, you know, and he said, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, can you mix to zero VU? Which is kind of recording engineer speak for, can you mix down a recording without distorting it? And I obviously answered yes. And he told me at a recording studio out in Nellie's Ford, 
which was about 30 miles away from Charlottesville, south. So I made an appointment with him the next day, and we got together, and he just, like I said, called me out of blue. We became fast friends, and I stayed there for 13 years. Okay. That's the, the, the abbreviated version <laughs> of the story. Now, I'm just curious to know, in the Path Evolution, we have three of the Explorer files, some segments mm -hmm. in, in there. Did you have anything to do with the Explorer files They were recorded before my time, okay. but I did end up doing a lot of editing around them. And the program continued for maybe about a year and a half into my being there. Okay. Which ones did you have access to? 11, 13, and 22. Uh, did you find out who the person was doing it, like ROMC or something? ROMC some? is one, mm -hmm. yep. Um, Shea? S-H-E. S-H-E, right. How many times have we watched the film? I know. <laughs> I'm sorry, whatever. I interrupted your <laughs> yeah. question. So no, you have these okay. explorer tapes. Yeah, so I was just, was just curious to know if you had anything to do with that. But I think um, when I was reading a little bit on one of the stories that you were telling about Bob Monroe, you mentioned the binaural beats mm -hmm. and and that as well. So mm -hmm. was there any, any experience um, at the Monroe Institute that was really significant for you in being the sound engineer and working with him? You mean, had was there any experience that stands out in all the myriad experiences I, I know. had there? Yeah, may um, maybe. Hmm. Well, I'd have to say that being in the presence of Bob and making friends with him um, and having the warm and um, gentle uh, tutelage that he offered me, not only through, um, you know, being learning how to uh, create these exercises that were, uh, you know, conducive of helping people move into deep altered states. He was very much my friend and my mentor. So there, there are lots of experiences where, you know, I, I really knew him as a human being and went through a lot of his life with him. Um, we shared a lot of, of common experiences. So that would take up, you know, a, a good portion of the interview, just trying to pick out any few to talk about. But in the overall, I would have to say um, he taught me a lot by allowing me to maintain my curiosity rather than to say, well, this is how it is. And he wasn't really a teacher, so to speak. He was a facilitator. And that's uh, something that I take into what I do now is to, I don't have a big theory of everything. I have a lot of small theories that are very personal. I'm happy to share them, but I would rather answer a question with a question when pointed to me, not because I'm not willing to share, but mostly because I'd rather find my, I see my role as helping you to become even more curious about what you've gone through, you know, and what you're really looking for mm -hmm. in your life. And, and I think that, that if I was to put it in, sum it up, that was the greatest gift of my experience with Bob, is he would always say, find out for yourself. He'd be happy to share his experience, but then he'd say, you know, just go to Focus 15 and hang a left. <laughs> Tell me what you find out there, mm. you know, and we'll talk about it tomorrow. In, you know, I think it was Skip Atwater in the second film, Beyond the Physical, when we spoke to Tom. Um, so many people that were in contact with Bob Monroe mm -hmm. would say the same things. Bob would always say, find the answers out for yourself. Well, he kind yeah. of eschewed being someone's guru. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. You know, people tend to, when they're on a serious search and path, and they resonate with somebody's writings or their work or whatever have you, they tend to project things onto that person. Um, you know, that person's more enlightened, that person's experiences trump mine, I can learn from that person. All of those things may be true. Mm, I'm not sure what enlightenment is. All I can really say is I'm not so darkened anymore. Bob would probably say the same thing. You know, it's like I've had these experiences. They're anomalous experiences in consciousness. I didn't necessarily want to be the only person out there doing it, which was one of his prime motivations for, you know, doing the work at the Institute. And I wanted to see if, if I could validate my own experiences and help other people to have the same experiences without necessarily them being the exact same experiences. Because we're talking about consciousness here, and consciousness is a vast territory with a map, you know, that many people have created. Depending on whose book you read, you have a new map. You know, you have new ideas. But it doesn't sum it all up. The magic of consciousness is really within the experience of the individual. You know, so I, th I, think the, I think Bob would appreciate that line of thinking. Yeah. Now, can we maybe, um, before we kind of jump to what you're working on now, we were t talking offline about some OBEs, out-of-body experiences right. and stuff. And for most people, kind of when they're exploring consciousness or have that experience, that seems to be what ignites them to research this more, go into this more. So is that similar to part of your journey with exploring consciousness was experiencing the You know, I state? got involved in meditation because I was a young person who wanted a sense of control. I got very enamored with the idea that consciousness and energy were somehow related to one another and that if you focused enough whether it be through the Taoist system or the Buddhist system or what have you. And the, the system I got involved in early on was the Silva method, which implied to me that my creative imagination, if focused and applied correctly, could somehow create my reality. And I was fascinated by that because I was trying to enter into a field as a musician, which was very uncertain. And I did not know how I was going to succeed. And it was, you know, I had a few years left to, you know, get this all together in my act. So meditation was my, um, my first foray into meditation was about my desire to focus my mind and relax and learn to control my own energy and create my own reality in an offhand way. Okay. And in, you know, transcendent experiences happened as a result. Okay. And in creating your own reality and using your imagination, it reminds me some of the topics of law of attraction or using... Very much along those lines, right? Okay. Okay. Um, so how many years have you been meditating and kind of in this... Well, field? I just celebrated my 55th birthday. I started <laughs> when I'm 15, so 40 years now. Okay. Yeah. You would think I'd know a thing or two, but I'd find out. Yeah. Now, on your website, thetriadmind.com, That's correct. you can purchase a $5 membership, is it, that you're kind of joining and you have access through your membership right. for meditation. So can right. you talk a little bit about what you're doing there? Well, there are three levels of meditation because, you know, not everybody who wants to get involved in meditation wants something along the lines of the out-of-body experience. 
little too intense, a little too much. You know, I just have hypertension and I just, my doctor told me meditation would be helpful. I have sleep disorder. My doctor told me meditation would be helpful. I'm a mild practitioner of yoga. I don't really know much about meditation, but you know, I've had this experience. Level one is perfect for anybody along those lines. I tried to keep the prices low because I really want the world to meditate. Quite frankly, I think we all need to chill out, period. <laughs> all right. Level two is more about some of the mystical applications of meditations, the spiritual applications. So if you're a yoga practitioner or you have some idea of what meditation is and you practice it, but you find yourself frustrated. For instance, I run into people all the, all the time who say to me, you know, I love to meditate. I try so hard to clear my mind and get to no thought. And, but there's always thoughts there and I get frustrated. And I just look at them and say, what gives you the impression you're supposed to have no thought just because you're telling yourself to have no thought? The whole practice is there to learn to clear your mind, create space from your thoughts, from one thought to the next. And you're doing that by learning to observe your thinking. Eventually, you do that long enough, you'll get enough space and something magic will happen. And when I say magic, it'll really be dependent on what your experience of magic is. Level three is a practice of um, learning to self-actualize through using meditation. If you're not familiar with the term of self-actualization, it goes back to Abraham Maslow and Kurt uh, Goldstein and several others. It really has much to do with using consciousness to explore the content of your own mind, explore altered states, explore the subconscious mind. The reason I call it the triad mind is because there's three, I present consciousness in three different paths or three different segments as being the conscious, subconscious, superconscious. Conscious mind, you know, is pretty much um, your level of awareness. You know, what, that which your, your attentional um, awareness is oriented towards. Subconscious mind obviously being the opposite of that, you know. Or do you, would you, uh, for instance, as we're talking in this room, you're listening to the sound of my voice, the air conditioner went on, you had no idea, but it, you know, that information got to you. There's a ton of other information that's coming to you, processing through you, that you're not attentionally aware of, and that all filters into the subconscious. Subconscious tends to be running on this constant treadmill of, am I safe? Is it okay? Is it okay? What's going on now? You know, am I safe? Is it okay? And it just goes on and on and on. And it motivates so much of our behavior. The superconscious has much to do with mm, what Sheldrake talked about, what Jung talked about, what um, people who have a transcendent experiences like the OBE, the NDE, uh, a unified consciousness, an experience that go transcends ego consciousness. All of those things are experienced within the Triad Mind program, which is the level three membership. It's more intense work. It takes about six months to integrate, and I've created three different levels of um, program for that. Level one is already out there. Level two and three are pending because I've made shifts as I learn more information. I make changes. Okay. Send it to your question. Yes, it could. does. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about what we were talking about earlier in the Peace Chapel, about how when people can have these experiences, that magical experience that you were talking about, and almost get, I guess, a high from it, um, yeah. and 
you know, really want to continue to experience more and more of this out of body state or what's happening in the, what did you call it? The superconscious? Yes. The superconscious. And you were saying that you also would like people to have that experience, but to also stay very grounded in the here and now to be here um, while you're playing, I guess, in both of those realms. Can you talk more about the importance yeah, of that? Yeah, people become very fascinated with the notion that we survive physical death and it becomes a raison d'etre for um, actually getting involved in meditation. They want that experience, like Bob's experiences. People wanted that experience. Or they read a book about an NDE and somebody goes to either, you know, the beautiful garden at the light at the end of the tunnel or meets with angels or whatever have their, their experiences People read that, they resonate with it, they want that experience because at the subconscious level, we all fear death. If you have experiences of people passing on in your life, your own mortality comes into play. And that's just one of the many fears uh, that we all share in common as human beings. So that is a powerful motivator. Other people are looking to have that experience just because it sounds really cool. To have that experience all of which are really good reasons to want to have those experiences however from my perspective you're here for a reason and that reason from my perspective again is to evolve evolve into something that is beyond the ego self evolve into something that is includes the divine nature that i perceive we all have even if you have no concept of divinity uh, or you're, you happen to you know, eschew that whole construct uh, as an atheist, for instance, I think that we all human beings look to something larger than ourselves to connect with. And that we're in awe of that because it answers a very deep longing within us, which is why are we here? How did we get here? What is our purpose? You know, all of these are very deep questions that I like to explore within the triad mind and integrate those transcendent experiences because they are available if you practice. They are available, but they're not the end result. When Bob and I first got together and I had my first transcendent experience, I was telling him about it naturally because I wanted his feedback, you know, young person trying to understand what this older guy knew and uh he assured me that i had had an out-of-body experience even though it felt very different from the experiences that he was not very different but different enough from the experiences that he had that created this concept of a clinical out-of-body experience as we went on and i had more of those experiences i one day came to him and said you know okay, I think I know now that I am more than my physical body. Now what? What do I do with this information? I mean, I'm still me. I, you know, I didn't change. It, it changed something within me, relaxed something within me. I don't fear death. But there's got to be more to the story than that. And that's really what the triad mind's about, is taking that information, self-actualizing it, learning to become more kinesthetically aware, learning to become more aware of your environment, learning to shift consciousness, which I always perceive as a spectrum, between what you're consciously aware of, what your subconscious reactions are, which can be experienced through the kinesthetic sense, as well as the superconscious mind, which can also 
because I believe we're getting information all the time. I think Tom um, would probably uh, agree with this from, I've only read his first book now. He calls it the, the uh, larger consciousness system. And it seems to be feeding us information, which I believe is part of our evolutionary growth. I don't want to get into the whole free will versus destiny thing, but I think that's what it's about, making that contact. Not to mention the fact that when you make genuine contact with human beings, you start to see a reflection of everything that is really in your life within their lives. And it shows you how unified we all are, even though we all feel separate and alone. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. Oh my God, I have like 20 questions now. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll see if I can condense the answers down to yes and no. Okay, I want to say two things. One is uh, what came to mind when we were kind of, because I agree with you that once we know how to do some of the stuff when we do go out of body, that it's really important that we, we are here for a reason. We are here in the physical body. So it's important to, to know that. And I think kind of be grounded here and not always try to get out of it because eventually we will, mm -hmm. but like, you know, enjoy the experience here. And what I found through just my own personal experiences, what has helped being here were was the out-of-body experiences or the healing experiences mm -hmm. that I've had or have shared with some clients. It almost gave me a better understanding of how to be here, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. That's a sign of a well-integrated experience. Yeah. So I, f I, I do feel that these experiences and going out-of-body and traveling to these different dimensions or um, exploring that is important, but not so important to... I'm not saying to not continue to keep going out there, but like you were saying, not to become addicted to it or like wanting to always be there or check out what's there or go further, but, you know, integrating it to say, okay, how is it easier now for me as a soul and mm -hmm. spirit in the physical body mm -hmm. to navigate my interactions with people? Uh, it's helped me make decisions so much better. Mm -hmm. Like when people are talking about going with the gut and that information kind of coming in your intuitive quadrant right, right to sure. really you know understand that so yeah absolutely what happens in these experience a lot the ego tends to co-opt the experience usurped it you know just grabs it by the neck and says this is mine this is now who i am you know it's part of who you are probably the closest thing to your true nature that you can act the ego can come into understanding but it begins to think it's somehow special. It. I don't want to, you know, um, set it aside or detach from it. We all have an ego, and it, that's fine <laughs> from my perspective. But to take that experience, the tra any transcendent experience, and to chase after it is like a dog chasing after cars, and you're not going to really know what to do with it once you catch it. You know, I mean, it's just the thing I do because that's part of my personality and it's a new personality now that I've had the experience. Those who haven't had the experience tend to keep it at bay through that strong coveting. I want that experience. Who's the I that wants the experience? It's the ego self. It's, again, not a bad thing. We all have an ego. But if the more aware you can become of your personality self and th that actually is a ramification of what happens in these experiences because the eye that you take to those experiences if it's a true transcendent experience and not some fantasy there is no real eye as you've known it 
to to fully integrate that experience or have the experience itself. You're just a pure awareness, if I can use that term, taking in this unbelievably new perspective of who that I is. And it's so overwhelming and overcoming that when you come back to the personality I that identifies with the body and all of its surroundings, you tend to not really know what to do with that information. And it takes a while to make some shifts because your belief structures that you've lived under that, that are the very foundation of the ego self actually get shattered and it can create greater schisms. So I'm not sure that everybody should have those experiences. I believe that in everybody's evolution, if they really come from the pure pet place of wanting to know who they truly are, and it's a, a longing that they can get in touch with, and they understand their motivations for that longing, I think that that personal evolution, because I do believe we're all supremely guided, will take in and say, okay, now you're really ready. So let's take these small, simple steps to get you where you need to be in order for you to achieve your real goal, which is to know that you are more than your physical body, but I don't have to take you out of it in order to get you there. I can give you other forms of unity experiences. Synchronicity is a good one for that. Yeah. And kind of going along this, and I want to go back to something earlier that you said about free will versus destiny. Huh. That's said, a long oh, conversation. I know, but I'd like to have it because I sometimes personally get confused a little bit about it. Um, I understand. Now, I know, you know, we have in this film, Tom, Tom's theory says you can't have, you can't have consciousness without free will. Um, or you can't have free will without consciousness, whatever, whichever way it is that he described it. But then I remember meeting with um, a shaman and we were all sitting down at dinner and having a discussion. And she said, everything is timed down to the minutes, mm -hmm. the way that this consciousness system works. And then mm -hmm. that made me think, yeah, but what about free will? Like if we have free will, then how is it timed? Or does the time get, get shifted? And mm -hmm. then I think of synchronicities and mm -hmm. I'm thinking, well, if I had free will to make certain decisions and I made a decision and here I am in life and here's a synchronicity of meeting you or something weird that happens tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Well, did free will have anything to do with that? Or is it really true that there is something with destiny and that every single moment, minute is planned out and it has nothing to do with free will? <sighs> All right. I can only give you my perspective <laughs> because I'm not a philosopher. Mm -hmm. I don't have the deep meanings of, ev of everybody's life and I'm the last person to tell somebody how they should think. However, given that I'll share my personal experience, I tend to think not so dualistically. I think free will and destiny coexist. It's not an either or, it's an and. So the reason I've come to that um, conclusion is because of my personal life. There are certain things that have occurred in my life. I was sharing with you the story earlier of how I had an inner knowingness to go to Charlottesville, Virginia. All right. No logical mind process that I can, knowing myself, would have ever come up with the idea that, okay, I'm going to leave New York City and start a recording studio in John Boy Walton country. This, does, this defies logic. What was my attraction to it? I had no idea 
All I knew is that I needed to go. And what verified that for me is my then wife also felt that way. And it really struck me as odd. In hindsight, now because it's always 2020, I know that I was supposed to go there to have the experiences I had, which include being with TMI and Bob Monroe for all those many years. I had a lot of learning to do there. It was part of my growth. It was perfect for me. Synchronicity plays a part. My understanding of the way my life has unfolded is that I came into this incarnation to do certain things. I can't even tell you what all those are because that would be pretentious. I have no idea, really. But I do know that when I have what I'll call unmistakable hits, there's something there that is providing me with this inner knowingness. I have the free will to choose not to play with it, but I suspect that if I don't follow that hit in the moment, I'm going to have to fulfill some segment of that later in my life. And the further I bring myself to this point that I need to be, it's like stretching a rubber band. It feels longer and stronger tension and all of a sudden no time left and it snaps. And usually that includes pain. So to avoid pain and suffering, whenever I get a hit that I need to do something like when our friend Garrick said, you need to, why not check this out? It felt right. I went with it. Does that make sense? Yes. Where this leads though, no idea. Right. What this is about, I have no idea. Other than meeting you lovely people. <laughs> Thank you. So my, my follow-up with that and what just came to mind is, do you think when you become tapped into this, like following that, that hit, following Your that synchronicity, that you practice less free will, if that makes any sense? Like, are you giving up a part of free will in where, okay, well, yeah, we, we could have choose to interview you. We could have chose to say, eh, no, no thanks. But mm -hmm. if you're moving in with that intuition and stuff feels right and it feels very synchronistic mm -hmm. and you're kind of tapped in, in with the flow of this larger being consciousness that is here supporting us, guiding us. I see it sometimes a lot in the spiritual texts, kind of like surrendering a little bit to that, following that flow. Maybe are we less likely to have to exercise our free will? If that makes I don't know if that makes sense. No, I, I understand what you're saying, and I think that your question comes from, and again, I'll use this term gently, the egos need to know what's going on. Does that make sense? Yeah. Free will implies that there's an I involved in making these appropriate decisions, and there is. Mm -hmm. Destiny implies that there's something outside of us making these decisions for us and the ego takes resentment. Does that make sense? Yes. I tend to not think of that thing that's feeding me information about this would be a really good idea to do this right now that gives me the intuitive hit as being other than the I. Does that make sense? Yes. We'll call it a larger consciousness I, part of the superconscious I, um, one, a part of the I that is perhaps the I that can have any experience in a transcendent state that the little I would have a problem processing. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it does. So it's not really diametrically opposed to one another, at least in my viewpoint. 
And I know this is a question that the, uh, you know, that has been struggled with since like the ancient writings in the Torah. The trials of Job, for instance, are a really good example of that. You know, it's like Job was, uh, I don't know if you know this story, but, you know, Job was a pretty okay and righteous guy. And the next thing he knows, God's smiting him with this, that, and the other thing because he allowed the devil to do it. Well, why would God allow the devil to do that to such a righteous guy, you know? It, it implies that there's something working against our growth. And I tend to think of it as something involved in our evolutionary process. Okay. And it's not separate from me. Great. Yes, that answers. Now, um, this might be a good segment into, we were all talking earlier about, we were all brought up in the Catholic religion. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about how when you're really kind of dissecting and look at that and some of the scripture and text written saying the spirit, well, who is the spirit and what does that mean? Um, Can you go into that a little bit more and what your viewpoint is about? Well, I'm not particularly lost. For quite a while, I toyed with the notion that I was an atheist. And the reason that I became an atheist was because, um, you know, I mean, we were high holiday Catholics, as uh, as the saying goes in New York. My parents didn't go to church. They sent me to church, which was a short walk. And they wanted me, you know, they gave me a little envelope full of, you know, a quarter or whatever it is they were giving. And I'd have to go through the sacraments and everything. And when I went to public school, across the street from that public school was the um, uh, Catholic school and the church that I attended. And every Wednesday, they'd allow us little Catholics to walk across the street to get our religious indoctrination, which they called release time up in New York. It's going to be a fairly long story. Anyway, um, I may have been in the second or third grade and I don't remember exactly um, you know, how old I was, but we were going on a field trip to the Museum of Natural History. And as a kid, I was completely blown away. You know, I was going to see the T-Rex. And I learned <laughs> how that, you know, the Earth was 4.8 billion years old. And you know, they just mildly peppered the story of evolution and that these creatures lived, you know, for 250 million years and some 65 million years ago, they were wiped out. Anyway, I was so looking forward to this because I watched these Saturday morning um, old movies where, you know, the dinosaurs looked horrible. I don't know. You're probably too <laughs> young to remember these. But I was looking forward to seeing this this huge monster. And there he was. And, you know, I was blown away. So long story longer. Uh, that week or perhaps the week following, I went across the street and the, the nun who was teaching us um, catechism was giving us this story of uh, the creation story of Adam and Eve. And, you know, she went through the six days and all of creation. And, you know, like a little inquisitive kid that I was, I raised my hand and I said, so sister, when did God create the dinosaurs? And she said, we don't ask such questions. And I felt, you know, a little ashamed and embarrassed. I don't know why I shouldn't ask such questions. You know, you're giving me the creation story here and you didn't include dinosaurs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I saw one, you know, and then she went on with the story of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Cain killed Abel. And I'm doing the math and I may be, you know, seven or eight years old, but I know where babies come from, you know. I'm, and I raised my hand and I said, so yeah, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and then Cain kills Abel. So there's two men and one woman sister. Where did the rest of us come from? Because I know you're not supposed to sleep with your mom. <laughs> and she naturally said, we don't ask such questions. She wasn't doing anything bad. She was just 
professing her faith and telling me how to profess the faith within Catholicism. So for a long while, I sat with this notion that none of that is true that I, she was teaching me. There probably isn't a God. Now I have to go through all of this stuff, you know, because my mom wants me to be confirmed. And I t- made a deal with God and said, you know, if you're out there, show me. I'm willing, but until then, I'm not buying it. Well, when I started meditating, I had experiences that I won't say are a necessarily a you know clouds parting and angels touching down or you know burning bushes or anything along those lines but unity experiences which left me curious and more the more curious I became the more I started to read scripture to see if there was any correlation between that and my experiences and I would catch these little nuggets as you said before you know about I was in spirit in the day the Lord you know, revealed this to me or that revealed to me. And I thought to myself, that's a little like the experiences I'm having here in my meditations. Can't really say I'm in spirit. I'm not floating through the clouds or anything like that. I have a very real sense of my body, but at the same time, I'm not so completely in touch with my body. I'm in touch with something greater than just what I know to be my physical life existence. Well, when I had my first transcendent experience, that was very much outside of physical life existence. Didn't meet up with God. Wasn't there. But I started to get even more curious about what is this expression that human beings have? What is this part of ourselves that is reaching out beyond just physical life? What is this need that we have to connect with something larger? And that's when I started to do comparative religious studies. And I noticed that just about every religion has this notion of a meaning of life, an afterlife, uh, a sense of exploring um, your purpose in life. And these are, like I said before, very basic human questions. I wondered what in the world, you know, why do we have these questions? Why do I have these questions? I try to keep it personal. And I started reading Jung and other books on psychology, and I'm like, this just goes on and on. It doesn't matter what discipline we're exploring this from. These questions exist, and it all comes from this place of self-reflective awareness. We're probably, we're pretty unique in terms of you know, species on the planet, let alone you know, the possibility of other lives elsewhere. We think about our thinking, and if you're a little bit, more curious, you can think about your thinking about your thinking. And that becomes quite a hall of mirrors if you allow it to become one. And at the end of that hall of mirrors, that light at the end of the tunnel, it seems that that's what we're all looking for, is to understand what that is, that nugget, that bit of gold. That's why I think people want to experience these things outside of the bodies. They're looking for that light at the end of the tunnel. It's not out there. That's in here. And you, out there and in there, are actually at the same place. And if you read some of the Gnostic varieties of Scripture, which weren't canonized by the Roman Church, you will find language like that. Uh, The Gospel of uh, Thomas, for instance, I'm, I'm having to paraphrase, when you make the inside like the outside and the male like the female and the right like the left, you know, it's, it's a basic collapsing 
of this dualistic notion that there really is in reality this I thou that's only there for our experience so that you can have an experience the ancient scriptures you know talking about uh, the Shema in, in Israel um, in the Torah basically says in English hear O Israel the Lord our God is one thing so that everything in the world everything in all of the cosmos is really one thing now how can one thing have an experience if there's nothing outside of itself well this is an implication for me how can I have an experience unless there are things to experience things outside of myself things I can make judgments about things I have a relationship with things that I can alter my relationship with and all of that is reflective of something deep on the other side of that hall of mirrors you know Am I getting too uh, metaphorical and strange, or are you able to follow? So does that answer your question? To shorten it, I think all the scriptures from all the faiths and all the psychology and all the neurology and the psychophysiology, all of it is really about trying to understand why human beings have the experience of life that we have. Yes. And what it truly means to be here. Hmm. Now, That's with, a big theory. <laughs> I know it is, but it's good. Um, now, obviously, you built the triad mind and your meditation, the three levels. Mm-hmm. It sounds to me to be able to help people have this experience. Yes, but to integrate it simultaneously. Right. Because I'm not interested in helping people have imbalanced experiences. We had a little side conversation about Heshed Gevora, mm-hmm. this polarity experience. Unless it's integrated and balanced from the two sides bringing it back to the center what's in my opinion what's created are schisms and and we don't want schisms we want wholeness we want to be able to look at that because it's really about relationship of one thing to another so my relationship to the subconscious my relationship to the superconscious is balanced with my conscious mind or conscious awareness yeah, and that side conversation that um, Mark just referenced, we were talking about some Kabbalistic healing yes. uh, before we started to record this. Um, but you also said that that's something that you're that you're practicing. Uh, yeah, now? I've been a practicing Kabbalist for 25 years, I suppose. Okay. From all three schools, I have a real passion for it. Now that may shift into a little bit of a different conversation. That it would be a long conversation because yeah. we'd have to define Hebrew terminology okay. <laughs> along the way. But you know, if yeah, you have well, something, or maybe we could have you back on specifically, maybe to dedicate a podcast to that because Absolutely. I'm really interested um, in that and just some of the small experiences that I've had with some of that. Uh, yes, and well, feel free to ask whatever question you want. Okay. Well, well, maybe what I'll ask now is. <clears throat> with practicing that for 25 years, how are you integrating that with some of the meditation and what you're teaching now? Well, I have to give the Kabbalah a lot of credit because it basically set me on the course of my comparative religious study. Uh, the Tree of Life as is the foundation of Kabbalah. It's the diagnostic principle of Kabbalah. It, uh, it's the manifested um, understanding of divinity. It is also, from a psychological perspective, the manifested manifestations of humanity's experiences. That's a pretty cohesive way to put it. But in the Western esoteric tradition specifically, which you know, gets a little flighty and, and strange from my perspective anyway, 
it the reason that I was so fascinated with that particular branch initially was because it was so cohesive and so inclusive of the Vedic texts, the tantric texts, the the um, the um, Buddhist texts, you know, and the Christian uh, texts, Judeo-Christian texts. It was able to take, give me a different perspective of the information that I had amassed thus far in all of my meditation trainings and the writings of together, and do so in a fairly non-dogmatic or non-specific dogma. For instance, they said, "Well, if you, you know, you can you can look at what the Buddha said about this." and compare it to what is being said in the Torah or in the Gospel of Philip or the Gospel of Matthew or, you know, and I, I really found that beautiful. So that's what really allowed me to, you know, dive more deeply into it because it spoke to not only my past, but my current understandings and even within the, the realm of science and pragmatism and, um, dare I say, you know, agnosticism. It's like you don't have to believe in anything outside of yourself in order to pay attention to this. And if you do pay attention to it and really work it, you'll probably find that there is a divinity within and without. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's why it really became a passion of mine. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I think think we will have you on just specifically to talk more about the Tree of Life and and that as well. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Um, So would you like to tell our listeners how they can get this membership a little more in detail, what to expect in visiting your website, um, and hopefully we'll we'll get some listeners over there. Sure, guys. Uh, What you do is just go to thetriadmind.com. There's plenty of information up there for you to read about. Much of it's about my experiences with Bob Monroe. Um, talks about binaural beats and consciousness, how they affect consciousness evoked potential. If you're interested in the scientific information, I haven't really uh, spoken much about the psychological principles involved in meditation, but I have um, a group of psychologist friends, mostly of the Jungian variety, who are going to help me do that because I, I have to tread lightly on those landmines. I teach meditation. I'm not a psychologist. Um, the various levels, I think, as we talked about before, or was that on or off in our yeah, conversation? Mm-hmm. Um, level one is just specifically for people who are just getting involved in meditation and don't want any really wow-banging experience, but want to feel a sense of peace and relaxation and be able to use meditation as a form of control of their own physiological or emotional responses. Uh, which are one of the many benefits if you have sleep disorders, that sort of thing. It also tends to be very good for that. Those who are involved in more of the the yogic practices or, uh, you know, even if you're not involved in yoga practice and you find meditation to be of a spiritual curiosity for you, you'd find level two to be very easy to use. Uh, you just simply go to the homepage and there's a tab that says join now and you choose which, read about it, choose which membership level is right for you and then you know, pay for it. And it's a monthly membership for the first two levels. You can cancel any time. The program is a six month commitment by necessity. Okay. And, um, the meditations that people get or can download or have access to once they have membership, are you actually facilitating it? Is it your voice? Are you putting it is my voice? Yeah. Bob Monroe managed to train me pretty well on how to, um, use what are, could be called Ericksonian techniques of voicing so and i was also in broadcasting for years i know how to 
excuse my voice. Yeah, you have a great voice. Thank I, you. I said to Mike when I, lis- I was listening to the promo video that I have on there, I said, gosh, if that's him and that's his voice, this is going to be a great interview. He's got well, such a great thank voice. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's one of those things I've worked really hard at. You know, I just open my mouth and what comes <laughs> out is what comes no, out. No, but some people have a nice tone, you know, naturally. And, uh, you know, I, my ear found your tone very pleasant just before I met well, you. Well, thank you. Um, now, with Not all of the um, meditations are verbally guided, though. There's, I okay. tend, I really am big on personal empowerment and, you know, I, I like listening to myself too from time to time. And then I get to a point where I'm tired of listening. To, yep. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, shut up now and just let me go and do my thing. And with being a sound engineer and you're also a mus- musician, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So is, uh, and I just signed up, um, to get my free oh, meditation. Okay. Um, so I haven't listened to it yet cause we're here, you know, right. getting set up and doing the interviews today. But, um, do you produce the music? Do you make do. this music yes. all yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have a recording studio. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Spend a lot of time there. And are you also integrating some of the binaural beats? Um, Absolutely. The hemisync into yeah. these meditations? Yes. Okay. Not hemisync. Hemisync is a trademark that belongs to the Monroe right. Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Monroe taught me everything there was to know about that from the perspective of how TMI would use it. I tend to look at all the things that I do, and we could have a very long conversation about the efficacy of evoked potential for brainwave response, given you know using sound as evoked potential. There, I tend to think of consciousness and the brain as being, and I'll try to keep this short, it's still a chicken and egg question. Okay, I'll, I think that's a really good way to leave it there. Having said that, I find binaural beats to be powerful. I tend, I continued my research after um, leaving TMI, uh, but it was more oriented towards what is known as the ontology of sleep. I'm very interested in, in human sleep cycles and the way they work and the brainwave patterns that, uh, that follow that, uh, work in concert with that experience or non-experience. My job is to apply all sorts of sound to help you ride the wave between stages three and four sleep. It's what the Hindu practice of yoga nidra was very big on, sleep yoga. Mm-hmm. It also ties in very strongly with lucid dreaming, which the second stage of the triad mind program will focus a lot on because you can do a lot of work dealing with your subconscious blocks through accessing your subconscious mind through the dream state where you're far more passive, but become aware in that state. And when you do that, you can work your complexes. And again, I have to be careful here with the language that I use in such a way that it is, it'll save you miles, miles of, um, traveling along the road of a self-understanding of things that long forgotten mm-hmm. grab control so um does that answer your question specifically yeah, yeah. enough about the, the yeah i just wanted to know a little yeah. bit more background let the listeners know you know what the membership is and the meditations and the music or what will be right. facilitating their meditation that right and it's really simple you just log on you you're immediately taken to your member access portal and you just read about the, you know, choose the meditation you want to try. You can read about it and flip around and you put your headphones on and you can use your mobile device or your computer. I'm doing a lot of research on the effects of negative effects of radio frequencies and mobile devices now. So I tend to like to tell people to go ahead and just to be on the safe side, plug it into your Ethernet connection, turn your Wi-Fi off, and use your computer. Uh, but they are streamed in real time, much like Netflix. Okay. And, yeah. 
Oh, and I, there was another question too, a part of it that I clicked on. You're having something where you can be a facilitator of the triad mind? Yes, yes. Well, I'm interested in that. So could you just say a little bit more yeah, about what that might be? Yeah, once you finish the program, if okay. you have, you know, especially someone with your background, a master's yeah. in psychology, and, uh, you know, your healing, um, your understanding of healing and Reiki and how that integrates and works well, if you tend to want to use this in your program, or and I have several others, or... Um, you know, you choose to, if if you have the appropriate credentials, and I'm not going to be too rigid about it, but I, I need to know who it is that's facilitating the work and can actually contribute to it and make it their own. So yes, there there will, that program is in place and I'm still working on the facilitator's manual to answer your question. Okay, cool. But you have to finish the program and kind of get a, have a resonance with it. If you don't have a resonance with it, move on. Okay, I'm interested in that. Great, And I just have to mention, over your shoulder Uh is a beautiful butterfly. (laughs) Um, And it's just flying away now. Uh, We were recently interviewing somebody. Lao Tzu. um, (laughs) Could that be? Yeah. Um, Our last podcast with Ambika Waters, when she was out in Tucson, Arizona, when we were interviewing her. Mm -hmm. And she stopped and she said, oh my gosh, a hawk hawk right yeah yeah it was a hawk she's like oh my gosh a hawk just landed on the branch outside the hawk is a very special animal with me yeah, yeah. oh really absolutely and and the hawk just sat there during the interview mm-hmm. and we were getting ready to talk about the third eye and it sh- i think there was some connection with sure. that so and the hawk stayed there through the interview and then as soon as we were done it kind of floated away and right towards the end here i'm seeing something because i'm facing out towards these I beautiful think it trees we're at the end of the interview and, then. Yeah, that's maybe what i, I sat like. my power animal sat in on that indica was her name uh, ambika it, ambika's mm-hmm. interview and she just maybe her pa- butter fly has something right. to do I'm gonna with have her. to email her and there ask. Yeah. synchronicity everywhere you just have to have eyes to see it yeah it was cool so just I had to mention it because there was the subconscious mind saying oh wow there's a butterfly there's a butterfly behind him as we're <laughs> conducting this but um yeah so well, does we'll, that mean we're at the end of our I interview think we here? are yeah so <laughs> thank you so much oh the pleasure uh, was mine thanks for, for having coming me. here for being a part of our Q&A panel we are going to be able to record that too so people um that are listening now you'll be able to hear more about what Mark might have to say with some questions that are asked from the audience and uh, I, I'm excited that we made this connection I have a feeling we'll kind of further it a little bit more into the future it's been thing. really nice to meet the both of you yeah. thank you very much thank you if you'd like more information about our films or to purchase our DVDs you can head on over to our website at thepastseries.com they're also available to purchase on amazon.com our films are also streaming online at vimeo.com guyamtv.com and itunes If you have a show suggestion or would like us to interview someone specifically, please feel free to shoot us an email at info at thepastseries.com or send us a tweet at The Past Series. Please rate and review us in iTunes and subscribe. We hope you enjoyed the show.